So due diligence, as always, is brought to you by Do Media Inc., my production company, video production. Any of your video production needs, give us a call at Do Media. And Eric, yep. uh, go ahead and tell us about uh, the Dude About Town, which is architecture, photography, and Heights Clothing Company, which is, in my opinion, some of the best Heights and Shaker Spirit wear you're going to find. And uh, both of them will be at the Shaker Square Farmers Market uh, for six weeks in a row on Saturdays, beginning April 24th, 8 a.m. to noon. In Cleveland Heights, the question for residents is a matter of change. Signs lining the lawns urging the more than 32,000 voters in the city to either vote to keep or change the way they've governed themselves for 98 years. And let the chips fall where they may in November. Let the voters decide what's in the best interests of our city. Citizens for Good Government has conceded this election. We all care about this great city that we call home. We all want it to be better. The citizens of Cleveland Heights will have a say over who they want to be the mayor. My last, my last item. You know, we have been deliberating. We have been going at this for a very long time now. But for the sake of the city and for the sake of moving forward so that we are not using this as a pawn for an election or for the sake of moving everything forward, I am going to go against my own grain and my own judgment for the sake of the city. And I am going to appoint, make a motion to appoint Craig Cobbs. Second. Craig Cobbs as the vacant appointed seat. I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of the uh, willingness of Davida and Melody to, to uh, work to uh, bust this log jam. I think it um, speaks volumes about their uh, uh, character, integrity, and leadership. So I'm uh, I just want to make it very clear that I had not spoken to anyone regarding my decision and my decision just happened a moment ago. I, I so, couldn't be more happy with it. No, a good litigator learns when, you're, have, when you're winning, shut up. So I'm going to shut up right now. I don't want you to change your mind. This is great. All right, then. Great and, and I have not even spoken to Mr. Cobbs either. So he is not aware oh. of this. No one is aware of this. This is just a spurt of the moment because I'm tired <laughs> of this. But I think that it is the wrong move and you know, I've never been the type of person who goes along for the sake of that. I, I think that we've had, you know, what a couple dozen applicants for this position. We could have had more if we had opened up the application period uh, months ago. Well, I guess I've shocked counsel tonight and I guess I probably shouldn't say too much more than uh, for the residents of Cleveland Heights. Uh, and to the people that I actually chose, uh, I believe you will run a good race and I believe that you will be successful. And I believe that uh, Cleveland Heights will support you and bring you home. All right, welcome to Due Diligence with Eric Silverman, my, uh, my co-host and our guest today, Craig Cobb, man of the hour to some respect. You are uh, 
Welcome back to, um, to, to your seat. Do they give you the same seat uh, at council? Uh, well, we'll find out because so far we've just been doing Zoom meetings. So I'm assuming I'll be at the end, which end I don't know. So you've, you've really had a front row seat to a lot of the um, sort of the crazy couple of years it's been in Cleveland Heights, right? So uh, you are a, um, you've been involved in several committees and commissions over the years. You're the chair of the planning commission. You're on the future Heights board. Um, and you are on the uh, charter review commission, which is, uh, um, played a big part in getting us to this point. And if you went back and you watch episode one of the podcast, you'll see, uh, the interview with, uh, Jessica, uh, Cohen and Tony Cuda. And we walked through the whole history of, how the Charter Review Commission came to be, and then um, how the, the mayoral um, push uh, came to be as well, and how those things were connected. Yes. Um, you are um, a graduate of Cleveland Marshall Law School. You went to Shaker Heights High School, but uh, chose Cleveland Heights. We always appreciate that. And uh, you live in the Coventry area. You're an attorney with Farmers Insurance. Yes. And um, yeah, I mean, as you as you look back on the last two years, what are the, the sort of like big moments and the big um, maybe decisions that you had to make that really stand out to you? Well, since I've come off council, I haven't had any decisions to make. Right. Um, but certainly while I was on council, I think the, the biggest decision that I had to make and the one that I agonized the most about was um, not going along with some other council members and putting a competing ballot measure on um, uh, against the one that the uh, citizens for an elected mayor had. Uh, I, it was my view that it would have been unfair to the citizens to have put a competing ballot measure on. It would have confused the electorate. And frankly, I don't think there would have been any other reason uh, that you, you put a competing ballot measure on to confuse. And as I said, when I said I was opposed to doing that, um, if for some reason that charter amendment did not pass, it would never, what the city had done would never have been viewed as a legitimate action, that we had sabotaged the will of the people. So to, to back up, we had the issue, whether or not Cleveland Heights should go to become, um, to have an elected mayor. Right. Now, there was also this other proposal, right, that came out of the Charter Review Commission because they wanted to, I understood that to some degree, that they wanted to show some respect to the work that went in to the Charter Review Commission, which only meets every 20 years uh, on average, right? And uh, they didn't want to just disrespect the many changes that, that, that they had recommended, right? Is that the case? Well, that City Council didn't. I mean, that's as, that is what was said. But I mean, the, the reality was the, the most important issue out of that Charter Review, and there were, there were some other things, not to you know, downplay that. But that was the issue is were we going to change our form of city government from a city manager to a strong elected mayor? That was the paramount issue, I believe, that the Charter Commission was charged with reviewing. And talk about your time on the Charter Review Commission. So the Charter Review Commission decided collectively that they would recommend against Cleveland Heights going to an elected mayor. Uh, it was almost unanimous amongst the commission members, That's right? Correct. So how would you describe your thought process and how you came down initially? On, you were against having an elected mayor, right? Well, in the end, I also voted to maintain our current form of government. And that was my personal view. And notwithstanding my personal view, I supported the citizens having a straight up election to decide that issue. Um, 
Wow, so we had over a year of deliberations about whether we ought to change the form of our government or not. And in the beginning, um, it, I don't believe that we took a, a, a straw vote to find out how we initially uh, felt about it. I think we wanted to uh, take some testimony and have some discussion before we finally took a vote. My initial impression was that a lot of people were in favor of changing our form of city government. And then over the course of the many months of having discussions on that, um, I was surprised that in the end when we took a vote um, that it was overwhelmingly in favor of um, maintaining our, our current form of government. So that, that, that came as a surprise to me because, again, based on some of the comments that were made in the discussion, I thought we were maybe 60-40, 50-50, and in the end it wasn't that close. So what, was the, what were the tipping point concerns? Like, why do you think most people came down on the side of maintaining? I think the, and I'll just speak for myself, that the overriding concern was, would we interject politics into City Hall where we don't have politics per se? So when you have a city manager, the city manager uh, is making decisions in theory and making um, hiring decisions in particular, not based upon political affiliation or political connection, but based on who is the most qualified um, person for the job. Mm -hmm. So there are no, um, you know, uh, trying to come up with the nice term here, uh, the people that are hired at City Hall are hired on their merits and not because of their connections. Sure. And so there was a concern that if you change over the form of government, that is one thing that could potentially happen, depending upon who is elected mayor and just how political uh, he or she is. Um, anything so far that, that jumps at? Well, no, I guess my, my question in regard to the, the fear of a politicization of it, in the counter would be, uh, is, you know, it's hard to say. So I guess if the premise is, is that council doesn't have, I guess, I think there's no doubt that the city manager isn't going to be political but the city manager responds to, should respond to all members of council equally. Conversely, if four members of council want to do something, four members of council could still be extremely politicized. So where they may not have an imp impact on, I want you to hire my friend Joe to be the sanitation department, they could direct the city manager in regard to policies or actions that have a political component. So I guess my question would be, how do you, Neither neither system has completely. They aren't uh, trying to find out. Uh, it's not like it's a, a complete meritocracy where there's no complete objectivity as well. Yeah, yeah I, I hear what you're saying. In my experience, um, that has not happened. Uh, at least with and and my involvement is was largely with uh, Tanisha. That certainly Tanisha made her own hires. And those that needed council approval um, got council approval. Those that didn't, she still would select someone whether the majority of council was in favor uh, of making the appointment or not. And offhand, and I, and I, for example, there are some positions that, that don't require council approval, and there, and there are some. Law director and finance director, two that come to mind immediately that require council approval. There may be another one, but the other hires do not. Well, actually, that, that does bring me to one question. When I compare it to school board, school board, we you know, you, ostensibly you hire a superintendent, they run the show. Yes. 
you, we always voted on personnel matters, but it was the superintendent's hire. So my question in regard to that, I would assume that all personnel decisions are the city manager, the city manager's role, and you just, you're rubber stamping. I mean, there was a, one occasion where I didn't want to vote for a hire, and my HR director's like, it's not your call, it's basically boilerplate. I abstained because I couldn't do that, but it was a super's hire. I guess, are there any positions that council really has any weighing in on, or is it all the city manager? Well, as I said, the, the finance director and the law director are, are two for sure, and there's, there might be a third that's just escaping me right now. Um, so the charter vests city council with the authority to do that, and under the new form of government that we'll have next year, those same hires are also going to be subject to council approval. I also believe who the mayor selects as their um, professional executive to run the city, that is also going to be subject to council approval. So are you, you've, you've come to grips with the reality of where we're going with this, right? So do you still have fears moving forward? Like now that, like what are you going to be worried about and maybe it depends on who the person gets the who gets the Absolutely. job, right? Yes. So uh, we have four candidates right now. Uh, what in general, like, are you? Do you plan on being more diligent and more vigilant about, you know, keeping an eye on who who their relationships are with and who they're bringing in? Well, certainly, I've always been diligent about who are you hiring, what's their background, um, are, are they qualified for the position, uh, are they going to do what's in the best interest of the city. So my view on that uh, is, is not going to change. I think we'll just have to see who is elected mayor and who the mayor selects as their hires and their department heads. Because, and, and, and if, let me go back to a little bit, during, during the, the, the charter review meetings, um, I, I don't believe one can disregard what was going on in Washington, D.C. with the Trump presidency. And, the, and that sort of entered in, I believe, whether we were cognizant of it or not, our fear over what could happen if you put an unqualified person into a position. There was no escaping that that also, um, I think, affected the, our deliberations and, and the outcome. I, I know for me it did, that if you put an inexperienced person into an executive position that then brings incompetent, in my opinion, hires and some hacks what you end up with as a government um, is not an improvement over what you had before. But ultimately you have faith in the people of Cleveland Heights to make a sound decision on this, right? In terms of who, they, who they're gonna pick? I do have faith in the electorate and they have to, you know, if they make a bad decision, they'll have to live with that. But that is a democracy and that's how it works. And so let's hope that through the uh, election process and, and debates and the candidates getting out that the, ultimately in the end the citizens will make the right decision. Do you think, because I mean it wasn't by any, by no means was it a close election, the, the results. Do you think that the campaign for the status quo worked against their position? Because my I, the reason I ask it's a leading question because I was watching it. I was very much on the fence, and then the arguments I heard to keep the status quo actually pushed me for it. So I was wondering yeah. your, your take on um, They did not uh, make a persuasive argument for why we shouldn't have an elected mayor, and I believe the the uh, campaign slogan was "Say no to political deals." Well, that would have been the appropriate. <laughs> 
<laughs> political <laughs> slogan um, going the other way. But early on after I got appointed and I was out collecting signatures to run, the level of unhappiness and dissatisfaction, my first weekend out collecting signatures told me that in all likelihood, the citizens were gonna to vote to change their form of government. It was gonna be an, an uphill battle. And a lot of what had happened, I felt, was self-inflicted wounds on, on the part of the city administration and not being responsive to citizens' complaints, not being transparent, not moving quick enough. So all of the grievances and complaints that people had as to why we needed to change our form of government, I don't know that you could make a strong argument that that there right. wasn't some validity to any of that right it was interesting because people were angry recently some people that i'm friends with were angry that you were appointed a second time uh and i i came to your defense in two ways one for for making that standing on behalf of on behalf of what was right uh and not letting the competing amendments go on but also because i thought that when you lost to davida that i it wasn't necessarily an indictment of you it was, it was, DeVita was probably going to beat anybody that she ran against, is my guess. Uh, and so, what do you, what's your takeaway from losing and then coming back and getting your seat back? What, what do you, how do you, uh, um, what's your take on that? Well, first, like you said, I believe that uh, Ms. Russell would have defeated any candidate. Right. And unfortunately, <laughs> I, I was on the other side and it was a straight up race against me. And, uh, you know, there's no, there's no other way to put it. I, my clock got cleaned. Um, but I, in terms of my reappointment, I haven't heard anyone be critical that, I, that I'm not qualified, that I'm not a hard worker, that I'm not dedicated. And, and I don't believe anyone has held it against me that my personal position was not to change the form of city government. Mm -hmm. And as I told people back then, this is a decision for the voters to make. I'm not gonna interject myself into this discussion um, so I avoided, you know, uh, campaigning um, against the measure. I just felt that let the citizens decide that. Uh, so I don't think there's any, you know, blowback from about my appointment related to how I felt about no, that. No, it's just about but, you being appointed a second time. Well, yeah. um, it, it may be unprecedented in Cleveland Heights, but it, but it has happened in, in other communities. Um, there is... Uh, not a lot of learning curve. So for the short period of time that you do want a functioning council member that, that knows who most of the people are at City Hall, knows how council operates, how city government works, I, I think out of the, all of the candidates, I would be the most qualified and experienced. And even aside from my prior service on council, I think my background and qualifications still would have made me the most qualified person. And ironic, uh, who broke the logjam on your behalf, right? Was Miss Russell something again, you know, unprecedented? Uh, I would like to think that, you know, had I been in her place, that I would have been big enough to have said, "All right, I, I don't like some things that happened on the campaign trail," but nonetheless, you know, the city needs a seventh council member. Uh, I'm going to hold my nose and do what's best for the city and that's I think what she decided in the end to do what you know what caused her to change her mind in the end I, 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 have, I have no idea it came as a shock to me um, when it happened so just to, to recap that for people that may not know we sort of skipped ahead of it is we had three candidates finalists for the empty seat 
four finalists. Four finalists out of twenty-five. Four finalists for this for the empty seat on council that was vacated by Melissa Yazanow, uh, and it sat empty. You were one of the four. Yes. And uh, the seat sat empty for over a year. Over a year <laughs> while we waited for council to decide who, sh which of the four finalists, they just couldn't agree, and it was Davida Russell in the end who uh, broke the tie uh, and gave in to sort of allow you to um, to step in. For the remainder of this term, but now you have to run again, right? I do have to run again. But you're running in. You're not you're defending one seat now. You're you're in the open field. Right. Because what happened before is to fill an unexpired term, mm -hmm. and so that is how it ended up as a one-to-one -one race. But uh, this term is set to expire in November, along with three other seats. So there will be four seats up, and I think there's six or seven announced candidates. Eight, eight, eight candidates at least have announced or. Right. Pulled publicly the, pulled petitions. Pulled petition. So the top four vote getters will um, be serving on council after January 1. And uh, what are you taking into this new race now as you're a candidate again? What do you, do you have, do, what's your, what's your stump speech? Do you have one? Like, what do you, <laughs> I mean, I've seen you're, you're generally very, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're not promising rainbows and puppies right. to everyone, right? Like you're a more pragmatic guy. Well, I am, a, I'm a very pragmatic guy. I, I am I am a realist. And so I'm not going to, you know, necessarily say what people want to hear. I mean, we, there, there are a lot of challenges that the, the city is facing. But I mean, my view is that I'm a pragmatist. I'm for common sense government. I'm for transparency. Uh, I'm for making thoughtful decisions and, if necessary, making unpopular decisions when I think it is best for the uh, city of Cleveland Heights. So let's jump into a few um, specific topics. Uh, it's not going to be dog park again, is it? No, we're not doing dog parks this week. We're going to that's that we'll we'll okay. save that one. Thank uh, you. So uh, let's talk about uh, the infill housing. Uh, I know you were on the, the Fair Housing Board at one point, so you've, and you've got some uh, experience in dealing with Cleveland Heights right. in housing. So. The infill housing proposals um, are pretty different, you know, in terms of the options on the table, right? Do you have a personal stance on how you think those infill housing uh, units should look and how they should be uh, implemented? Boy, that's a good question. And that comes down to a personal preference about, you know, your, your architectural design. Um, I'm more of a traditionalist. Uh, you can see some modern houses that have been put in traditional neighborhoods and they have worked out. Uh, again, I, I, that's, that's a matter of personal preference. I don't, I don't have a personal preference. I just want to see the infill housing done. The challenge to that is can you build um, a decent structure at a price that will still allow you to uh, market it and sell it. So you, you can't spend $250,000, $300,000 uh, constructing a home, whether it's traditional or modular, um, and the market in that neighborhood is only for a $140,000, $150,000 house. So that's, in my opinion, is going to be the real challenge for infill housing, not necessarily the design of the housing. Uh, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I the fact that you're a traditionalist, anyone who knows me knows I applaud that. However, if I put on my school board hat, which is not like your hat, but my question to you, and unfortunately you're the first one who's running for council with the city government, and I haven't sent my email to council yet inquiring on this. Explain to me 
how it benefits the public school system if the property is 100% tax abated. No one has been able to explain to me how it benefits the public schools and the community, actually the community as a whole. How does it benefit the community as a whole if you are doing new housing, ideally that attracts families who then use the schools, but that property is generating zero in property taxes for easily the next 15 right. years. And currently it's not generating much property tax. Right. So it, it's always a balancing act. Um, and the vacant property is not generating any income tax which the city needs to operate. So is it, is it better off that, that you have property that continues to not provide any property tax but we have uh, a lot that was previously vacant or a home that was run down that is now occupied that has in theory lifted up the values um, in the neighborhood and increase the values in the neighborhood uh, and, and also would then raise your property taxes. But that's theory. Uh, there's, that's theory. There's nothing, there's no, you have, there's no empirical evidence that says the vacant lot on Delmore, and I mentioned Delmore because there's a number of vacant lots yeah. on West Delmore and I grew up and lived on East Delmore. What's your thoughts on economic development that would generate property tax revenue that would benefit the schools and reduce the frequency and millage for school levies? That's a tough question, it, and it's a balancing act because if the developers are insisting that the only way that they can make this deal work is you've got to give me tax um, relief, tax abatement, and if you don't give me that tax abatement, I'm going to go to Shaker or Lakewood or South Euclid or University Heights and get it there. Do you push the envelope, and, and that I guess is, you know, that's hopefully that the mayor, whoever is calling the shots after the first of the year, will take a stance on, on that and will drive the hard bargain. And, and that's always the difficult part, as you know, in, in dealing with developers, is getting the best bargain that you can and maybe saying, okay, we're not going to give you tax abatement or we're only going to give you this amount of tax abatement and we're prepared to walk away from the deal. Well, my, and my apologies yeah. that you're the, the first one who's getting these questions because I like you a lot. And I have to say, after you got appointed, you know, I, I had applied at that same round and I knew I wasn't going to get that one. But it was the kind of thing where you and I sat down and talked for at length. And I appreciate right. that because that's far nicer than most of your colleagues are, are willing to extend that courtesy. So my apologies that you're the first one getting zinged on this. But that, to me, I hate to say it, is, is someone who was served not on one but two bodies that were dependent on local residential property taxes, you know, I don't mind abatement. I don't mind a long-term abatement. My issue is 100% abatement is a real tough pill to swallow when we all the restrictions we have in this community. For it is pervasive, though. It's everywhere, you know? City of Cleveland, like, every new development in the city of Cleveland is tax abated, right? I'm pretty sure. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> Whether, whether the developer needs it or not, yeah, whether it is right. particularly a neighborhood that needs the tax abatement, they're getting it. Well, then, uh, the, 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 the fundamental problem with the, that marketplace argument, if you would, well, one, Cleveland's a little bit outside the box compared to the suburbs, but the point being is that if folks are comfortable with 100% abatement, then they, can't, they shouldn't bitch and moan about the property taxes because it's one or the other. I mean, either you're going to, either you're, you have to, develop it and have it pay some taxes to mitigate it or 
you know, you don't complain about the, the, the millage, unfortunately. Or if we fix the way that we fund our schools. That would... Uh, We've been talking about that for 20 that, years. That would so. take some of the sting yeah. away from a tax abate. Right. Um, speaking of development, for the average resident of Cleveland Heights that sort of doesn't understand severance, how would you talk about severance and what's the sort of the state of the relationship between the owners of the property and the city? All right, very complicated. So, um, as you know, NAMDAR owns severance, the, the part that is within, I'm going to call it the roadway, the ring. Mm -hmm. And uh, originally um, was bought out of foreclosure, I want to say in um, 2014-15 for $7 when it had sold in 2003 or four for 53 million. Mm -hmm. And then Namdar bought it uh, maybe in 16 for about 10 million, 10 million some change, 10.7. Namdar specializes in buying these malls and entering suburbs throughout the United States and basically running them into the ground or holding the municipalities or the counties um, hostage uh, for uh, getting an exorbitant price to take it off their hands. And Namdar sold the Home Depot partial recently for about $13 million. So, they did. Yeah. So they have their investment back from what they spent for the entire severance. And I'm talking the upper part of severance where Home Depot is and the lower part where Dave's and the other strip mall and the theaters. Um, so Home Depot's partial is separately owned. And of course, that poses a challenge down the road for what you can do in terms of developing that entire um, uh, property now that you're going to be stuck with um, a big box store there. Uh, I know before I came off of council, we had interviewed uh, several consulting companies that were going to do uh, a study about what, again, what would be the best use of this property, uh, what was feasible for it. And I don't believe council ever came to any decision about what consulting firm they wanted to hire to help them with that. That would also, in theory, uh, approach Namdar and try to get Namdar to negotiate. Uh, certainly, if you know, the the problem, the city is going to need to bring a partner to Namdar. Namdar is not going to do anything with that property. They're not going to invest any of their own money into redeveloping it. So that's the challenge: is finding someone that's willing to come in and take the and, and pay what an exorbitant price to Namdar to take it off their hands. And I think part of the, the part of the problem has been, you know, uh, Severance was, you know, there was a company called Winmar who was on the West Coast. This was like an outlier in their portfolio for years. Then it had, you know, we all know Severance has had ups and downs. When it became a power center, then it went down again. Then Canyon Johnson, which was, they, they, they were sort of brought in, they, they bought it for a few years, did some very, in my opinion, ceremonial ornamental improvements. Mm -hmm. They were able to flip it, sold it for a higher amount, and then I, I sort of lost track of the, the ownership. But you know, the problem is, is Severance has been an outlier. And I think the other challenge Severance has is unlike a Euclid or a Randall, which are very large sites next to a freeway, so they were good for Amazon, and unlike Richmond Mall, which was a huge flat parcel that didn't have any kind of traditional neighborhood development, I think Severance is because it's so parceled out yeah. is that you know different ownership for the different land the parcels it's just the inside the ring road it's the topography it really is 
it's hard to come up with what's the solution. And in instance, Cleveland Heights, and everybody's got a different idea and opinion of what to do with it. And you got an owner who doesn't, they're just milking it. Yeah. They don't care. Like, is there anything, like, if the city comes up with an idea and Namdar shoots it down, uh, you know, they're not interested, right. is there, is eminent domain? Something no, that you can't, eminent domain you can't, is pretty much very not, difficult these days. Right, yes. Yeah. Um, back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, yes, and the name of the Supreme Court case escapes me, but I also believe we may have a statute now in Ohio adopted by our legislature that also makes eminent domain proceedings very difficult, clearly only for a public purpose as opposed to urban redevelopment. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you were putting a you know, RTA hub. station hub there or you needed it for a roadway or a government-owned power plant, yes. Mm -hmm. But the days of being able to take the property to do another development there, those days are over. Well, and one of the things I would recommend you know, anybody, particularly the, your, your listeners to do, is go take a look at the city's master plan committee uh, comments on that. Because as I said to folks, I've been on tons of committees, and that committee was, I was the board's liaison. That was by far the most incredible committee of folks I've worked with as far as ideas and input, and the folks from the county were always like, trying to cut us back because there were so many people with so many ideas. I think, you know, and we gamed out some different suggestions and ideas. I think that that's, you know, the, the next administration would be, it would behoove them to, there's so much uh, talent in this community who's familiar with these concepts is, you know, without high priced consultants from out of, out of town, just have these folks game it out and come up with ideas before even approaching it. Well, I would agree with that. I don't know why we always have these out-of-town consultants when we have so much talent here in the area. No, I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, it looks like we have a pretty substantial uh, COVID windfall uh, money coming from this latest uh, stimulus package. Do you have any thoughts or hopes on, on how that money gets put to use? I think it could be as much as $40 million, they're saying. That, that's what I've heard. I've only been on console. I don't know if we said it in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> 10 days or so. Right. So I do know that we are going to be having a presentation from staff about that money. I think they are still trying to figure out the, the law department, the legalities of what you can spend that money on and can't spend that money on. Uh, from my perspective, I think that those areas of the city that um, have been neglected from spending and development to the extent that we can use that money, we need to put an emphasis, particularly Noble Mayfield, Taylor Road areas um, that have been, I think, the hardest hit from COVID, not to say that our other businesses and commercial districts haven't suffered. But those areas were neglected before COVID. Do you have any uh, any personal feelings on on uh, the city doing more to sort of rework the way our business districts function? Like, are you open to things like better public access on Lee Road? Maybe occasionally shutting down Lee Road for things like the Music Hop. Uh, uh, maybe even open, like experimenting with an open carry uh, liquor uh, policy on occasion for certain city yes, events, I making things more fun. I'm absolutely in favor of doing those types of things. Uh, what people talk about the traffic congestion. Well, we have closed Lee Road down for, I know, for a race. Um, we've done it for parades. 
So um, I don't know why we're not doing more of that and, and routing traffic off. I, I would love to see Lee Road closed once a month during the summer months to have some entertainment. Um, I know there has been talk um, in the Cedar Fairmount area of closing traffic um, on the uh, northernmost lane going westbound and putting cones out and then allowing the businesses there to have tables out on the sidewalk and then you would have part of the street for the pedestrians to walk. Uh, I think that is going to happen. Um, so certainly those kind of things I think our, our businesses needed. We needed to compete outdoor dining um, with COVID and even without COVID, people love outdoor dining. We need to do everything that we can to encourage it. And until this COVID thing, we made it difficult, I believe, for the businesses that wanted to have outdoor dining to be able to have it. And when COVID first hit, I seem to recall that Lakewood jumped on it quickly, allowing the businesses to be able to have outdoor dining. And we were slow to get around to that because previously you had to go in front, I believe, the Planning Commission to get a conditional use permit to be able to have outdoor dining unless you have already had a dedicated patio. Right. Um, no, I think that's one of the things that people are hoping is that at least maybe things will move a little more urgency at City Hall, you know, <laughs> moving forward. Uh, Another reason why yeah. people wanted a yeah, form right. of That's government. what I'm saying, like, you, you know. know? Um, talk and get something done. I know. Um, any other areas that you're excited about or things that you um, are hoping to see happen? Well, I have been pleased to see that the, the city didn't suffer the, the economic devastation um, that I would have said a year ago was going to happen because of COVID. So there has been some uh, diminution in uh, income tax. Um, there, has, there wasn't, at least as, from what I've read, the diminution in the property tax collections like they thought there was going to be. Of course, the city only gets a small percentage of that. Mm -hmm. um, and that there has still been development uh, opportunities being discussed. So for example, the infill housing that we talked about, uh, Cedar Meadowbrook, someone is still proposing to go ahead with that. Um, the development at Lee Road and Fairmount um, yeah. is still, I think, not been determined what, what they're gonna do. I don't know how much city cooperation they're gonna need for their development. Um, the college club, I think they're close to sold out there um, at uh, Overlook and Edge Hill, um, a, a great development. And Top of the Hill is coming along. I think the parking garage just opened. Uh, oh, it's in use? Oh, I didn't know that. No, I'm saying, yeah. you say, you, you're saying it's in use? Well, that's what I heard is that, oh. it, it, that it did open last week. And then across um, from Top of the Hill on Euclidites Boulevard, they finally broke ground there on those apartments that are going up. Wow. So there has been some there has been some growth there's been some development uh so that's the thing that is in, that i guess i'm most pleased about it. It, it it although as bad as COVID was it i think it could have been worse so do you have an understanding and i'm going to talk to davita russell about this when we have her on because uh, i know she's deep in with in the in the census process do you have a a handle an understanding of of how bad things could get for us in terms of the federal money that we're eligible for, we're going to be below 50, right? We have been below 50. Yeah, we're below 50. The but like, is, are we going to drop below 40, I believe? Well, if we, if we're at, if we hit a certain point, we're, are, they change our designation, right? Um, to be eligible for a certain level of federal money, right? So do you understand, do we understand the ramifications are, of 
of if our number comes in at X, if we lose those qualifications for, the, for that federal money? I, I could be wrong. I, I think there's some significance to the number of 40,000. Okay. And we were in the low 40s, I believe, at the last census. We um, like 44, I thought we were like 44 to 46,000. Yeah, somewhere in there. And so it is absolutely vital that we count, and regardless of what the number is, that in what the county does, because I believe when you drop below a certain level, then the county is the, it makes the determining factor about how much CBG funds you're going to get from their allocation. Well, it's not a federal determination. Well, it is a federal, well, because we're still qualified for the federal program, we get our own money, but I believe if you drop, and I could be wrong, but I believe if you drop below a certain population level, then it's the county that would make the determination as to what your share of CBG funds is going to be. Uh, any thoughts on the current state of our um, pipes, our, our uh, the <laughs> EPA consent decree that we're dealing that we have hanging over our heads, and how we're that that's the big that's the big scary thing in the closet, right, it for is. the next ten years. Right. Um, I know the city has a consultant that they have been meeting with. This happened prior to my coming on to council and they're still working through, it's my understanding, uh, negotiating with the EPA about ultimately what will have to be done, how long it will take, how much it will cost. And so you'll have, we'll have to stay tuned, but it, you know, there is a bill that's gonna have to be paid and it's not, it's not Cleveland Heights' fault. Um, the sewer system when it was built was state of the art um, and all of the other municipalities that build out a similar sewer system are facing the same bill that we are. I think Shaker is also facing it. Lakewood, the city of Cleveland, we're all paying on our uh, regional sewer district bill. It's an unfunded mandate, in my view, be, that the EPA has put out um, against the communities. Hopefully, um, if this infrastructure bill that they're talking about in Congress were to go through, I would, I would hope that there is money in that infrastructure bill to help out communities right. like Cleveland Heights that are that are potentially facing um, a significant bill to, to pay for the sewer upgrades. They're saying three hundred million dollars potentially, right? I have I have not heard any numbers. Well, I guess the, the question I would pose, I mean, I'm, this is separate from the the, the the big interceptor program. But I guess the, the what if hopefully both of you would know better than I. But I, I, if memory serves, the reason. That for the high cost, obviously it's but when you have the combined flow, it's part of the issue. But I think what was amplifying the cost, if I'm, if correct me if I'm wrong, is that the the lines were sort of the two pipes instead of being side by side are one on top of the other. So someone d dug a deeper ditch as opposed to a wider ditch. Is that? Is I I don't I don't know what what the fix is, okay. but I do know that before I left council, they were running uh, the cameras through all of the sewer lines. And it wasn't as bad as it was as okay. feared in terms hmm. of, of, of um, how many repairs were going to have to be made. The sewer system surprisingly was in better shape than they expected. Hmm. And I don't know what the fix is um, for that. Uh, gosh, I, I can't imagine having to tear up entire streets and redo our entire system or, or lay pipes. Well, because memory serves, I know in the early 90s, the sewer district, there's an interceptor along Coventry Road, and then there's another one down Fairmont Boulevard, which is a deep dive with the boring machine, and that was because in the inner ring suburbs, uh, the, old, the, the storm overflow goes right into the sanitary sewers, which then creates a high giant plume, so the concept with the deep interceptors was the overflow from the storm goes in there, 
then the processing plants can can treat it at a, at a rate as opposed to just dumping into the yeah. lake. So that was the, the big interceptor down Cedar and the one down uh, Fairmont. So I think this is, I think, to mitigate it even more is, I, yeah. yeah. A very low tech solution, low mm. tech solution to the problem. Yeah. I know. <laughs> big and big holes. Yeah. Well, Craig Cobb, wish you luck. Okay. Uh, appreciate you coming out and spending time with us today. And um, we're sure we'll catch you again down the road. Okay. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Oh, I'm still. I'm, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm done shaking hands forever. Of course. Okay. Yeah. Eric was wearing. Well, I'm yeah. not old like you guys and have had two shots yet. <laughs>